techemergence.com, we write exclusively for an AI-focused executive audience. So in any given month, we'll have hundreds of thousands of VPs, executives, managers, directors in major industries learning about how to apply artificial intelligence in their industry or what its implications might be in their industry in the near term. And that lets us develop a bit of a spider sense. A spider sense for what topics are interesting and what topics are relevant for executives at large. And we pick up on that spider sense with kind of two major means. Number one, what has been the traffic for those related terms? How many people are searching and landing on our site for those kind of terms? And number two, how many people are pitching us to get in front of our audience to generate you know, executive leads from our website or what have you and kind of reach out to that executive crowd in that given space? Because if people are willing to spend to reach that audience, it probably means it's a growing domain. And in the domain of data enrichment, the collection of data, the use of data to train bespoke machine learning algorithms for business, we've certainly seen a lot of interest in the last nine months. Uh, we have close to half a dozen companies who've approached us about doing business in that space, about half of those who we have actually executed on campaigns for, and a lot of people asking questions on LinkedIn about where and how to get the data. Not just what is possible, but how would I get started? Where does the data come from? And this week, we focus on an interview that covers that exact topic. We interviewed Daniela Braga, who is the founder of Defined Crowd, which is basically a data enrichment sort of crowdsourced firm. And we talk about how to determine the data needs for a given application. So if a company wants to build a chatbot or a machine vision program or some kind of a speech recognition program, what kinds of data do we need to collect? What sorts of labels do we need to apply to how much data in order to actually develop a solution that would work? How do we get sort of a reasonable estimate of those things? That's one topic that we cover, and I think that'll be somewhat eye-opening for executives who are maybe not used to thinking through those concerns. But we also talk about how to move beyond sort of skin-deep level crowdsourced insight and how to develop the kinds of programs that live on the bespoke data within our own business ecosystems. I'll give you an example. If you want to train an algorithm to determine the sentiment of tweets in Japanese or in Arabic, you know, you can get enough people crowdsourced to go and do that. But anybody else in the world could crowdsource pretty much the same people with almost any crowdsourcing firm and solve the same problem. How can you get your own internal expertise, your own employees, the people who are on your team, to add context to the unique terms, the unique kinds of data, the unique problems that you're solving within your business, and train algorithms not on stuff that other people have access to, but on things that are specifically your own? And as it turns out, doing that for many businesses is harder than this skin-deep, skimming-from-the-internet kind of crowdsourced training that almost anybody can do in any way. Daniela takes us down kind of a future path of what the future of sort of crowdsourced data collection and data enrichment will look like, not just with publicly available data, but with deep data that's uniquely our own so that we can build bespoke machine learning programs that serve our business in a unique way. Definitely an interesting paradigm, definitely a challenging problem, but certainly seems like part of the future trajectory of data enrichment writ large for services. So I hope that this is helpful for business leaders thinking about what do I collect and how do I collect it to build a machine learning algorithm to drive business goals. Without further ado, this is Daniela Braga. I'm Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to AI in Industry. So Daniela, where I figured we would start here 
is sort of getting a grasp of how executives can understand the data requirements for a project. You probably talk to lots of firms that have an idea mm-hmm. of what they want AI to do, but they're really yeah. unsure of what features do we need to track? How much data do we need? How do people without a background in AI get a good grasp of that and get an understanding of those requirements? Yeah, so we have two types of clients coming to us. The ones who have tons of data, but they don't know what to do with it. And the ones who don't have any data and need to start building some sort of automation or efficiency in their systems and need to start somewhere from scratch. So we serve all the stages in the AI lifecycle from providing data collection, not just data enrichment. So from creating raw data to bootstrap a model from scratch, or really looking at the large amounts of raw data that most clients have and giving them guidance on how to structure their data to get the best results in the prediction. So we move ourselves within AI. A lot of people are saying they're doing AI and they're really doing rule-based models. In fact, as you know, for AI, you need statistically driven machine learning models that consume lots of structured data. We move along the lines of cognitive services. So we collect and structure high-quality training data for voice applications, text, and computer vision. So our clients usually come with situations like, I'm building a personal assistant. I want to go multilingual. I want to go to a different market. And I need 2,000 people speaking different dialects in domain, in banking, in Germany, or in Vietnam. And how do I get that data? So I do have a model in English working. I don't even know how to get to the next level of another market. So that's one example. See, another example, which happens a lot in the finance world, you're starting to see a lot of models out there that work well for domain generic to play music or to get information about the weather or basic search. But when you get in front of a finance client or an insurance client, or even medicine, you need domain-specific data. Yes. And that's that's another thing. It's the domain customization that is all about domain-specific data. So that's also what we do here. And another problem that other clients bring is, well, my model works well in identifying entities. So, for example, in text. I'm using Stanford NLP model for entity recognition. A lot of our fintech clients do, but they don't work well with my entities in finance or they don't work well in Japanese. They don't work at all in Japanese because the Stanford NLP doesn't support Japanese. So how do I get there? So you need to collect data. You need to annotate data. There's a lot involved in um, entity tagging. It's one of the most difficult tasks, uh, especially in domain. You need sometimes domain specialized people to annotate those entities. And there's a whole heuristics around measuring quality of the people because we combine people with machine to make all our data processing more efficient and more accurate. So let's, let's um, if you don't mind, let, let's just pull back absolutely. real quick here on where you're at. So I'm going to get back to the original question in a second, but let's poke into the expertise thing. So this is definitely a big part of this sort of crowd data collection, data cleaning, data enrichment game is you know, language is the par for the course stuff, right? I mean, I don't have 2,000 people who can speak 
Japanese, and that's what I would need in order to sort of translate this stuff or understand sentiment in this language or whatever the case may be. But you had mentioned domain expertise, so insurance, banking, people who understand the technology, people who understand Mm -hmm. the entities there, people who understand the terminology there, people who understand maybe the problems there. That, I think, is often the big challenge in sort of the crowdsourced expertise world. You know, if you want to get a machine vision system to identify whether an MRI is a fracture or not or something like that. I don't know. I'm inventing random ideas. You know, you're going to be hard pressed to find 2000 physicians who are going to hang Mm -hmm. out on a crowdsourcing platform. When it comes to finding expertise, what does that look like in insurance or banking? How is that pulled off? Because I think that's actually one of the tougher challenges today and certainly something worth working on. Well, the way we go about it is we have partnerships with universities a lot. And so we use recent graduates or university students in domain that are learning a discipline a lot of times. Sometimes we also use the client's internal crowd mixed with ours, which is very interesting as well. Yeah, they can actually mix together. The Mm. whole point of teaching machines to be better is bringing the internal and the external domain expertise, actually. What a value proposition. I mean, that's Definitely. I mean, I can't count on both hands and both feet how many data enrichment companies we've interacted with. And in fact, that's not exactly a common thing. So what you're saying is maybe as an example, we would have folks who are, you know, loan officers at a bank or something. I'm thinking of an Mm -hmm. arbitrary example who could hypothetically hop into a system in addition to maybe students going to a business school and could together kind of tag flag and identify certain terminology, certain problems, certain trends that maybe would require a little bit of experience and familiarity there. Absolutely. So they could point their own people kind of inside, not just grab eyeballs outside. Exactly. I give an example. We just worked with a big hospital group in Portugal in a prediction model for basically ICD-10 identification. It's a type of labeling of medical reports that only specialized physicians do whenever there's a case or any event, in fact, that requires a report. So the client wants more and more automation around that. Every physician has to pick a universe of 10,000 codes to classify condition whenever someone gets there. So they go constantly to a catalog of conditions. And it's NLP, natural language processing activity. So by the notes of the clinical reports, the system will recommend an ICD code. And this ICD code now is automatized. But in order to get there, we had both internal physicians as well as physicians from the outside to help train the model. So, And in a classification of completely open text notes from doctors who are have abbreviations and yeah, oh, their I jargon. Can imagine and it's, I can, can imagine, imagine it's right? just... Oh, Crazy. (laughs) The world needs that, obviously, right? I mean, we're—I don't think we're going to get doctors to become data entry perfectionists anytime soon. I know there's a lot of startups that hope that that's a reality that they can make happen, but no matter how pretty your user interface is, you're very unlikely to do that. Similarly, legal, similar, we're going everywhere because these very specialized domains. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's often sort of a bridge that's tough to cross, and I think folks who are tuned in should understand that, yeah, you certainly can't just grab anybody who speaks your language and have them label your data. They have to have the contextual insight to do that properly. 
to make the same kind of distinctions that you want the machine to make, basically. If it requires yep. somebody with loan expertise, well, we got to pack the machine chock full of perspectives and labeled stuff from people with that same kind of expertise. Very important point. This will loop us back to the first question, and maybe now we can put a little bit of color on it. You know, I think the space that you're in is certainly a space of servicing needs. So there are people at this point who, as you mentioned, are I forget the phrase. They have nails and they're looking for a hammer. They have hammer and they're looking for <laughs> nails, right? They're like, oh, we have data. Can we do AI too? You know, and, and sometimes yeah. you probably get a lot of toy application type people who are curious without having a strong enough ROI case to actually really do much about it or bring any real life to it. But you do have folks yeah. who do have a strong business case. One of the ways that I think companies like yours will get better clients, that is to say, people who actually know when they have a damn use case that they could use your kinds of services for, is when executives have a better understanding of the data requirements of different kinds of ML projects. When it comes to helping an executive think through, okay, this is what you say you want for this chatbot, you know, here's how you should think about the data requirements in terms of type, in terms of features, in terms of volume. How do you help these people get a better sense of what would be required to get X result from an ML system? How do you make that click for people so that they come to you mm -hmm. with ideas that could work? Then it's very normal that they have lots of data and they think they can do something with it. Absolutely. It can be a simple rule, in fact. To exactly. Make it yeah, no make, machine learning needed. Just no, write the script. No yep. machine learning needed. Exactly. Then they get very disappointed sometimes. Hey, with that. Oh my God, I can't wait until that phase is over. I'm not going to lie. Uh, for all you <laughs> listeners, I can't wait until this phase is over. When people are so hyped up to say they're doing AI, I just yuck, 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 yeah. yuck. When can we move on and make this about ROI, not about being the cool kid on the block? But anyway, yes, we're still stuck in that phase and we probably will be for another 18 months or two years. But regardless, I imagine you do see some of those frowns of disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, because also a lot of the times they have big budgets and they just don't know what to do with them. <laughs> yeah. So AI, especially in our field, we are all about human-computer interaction here. And that's where you are dealing with multiple variables. We are really mimicking the human brain with multiple variables. It's not just two or three variables that we are putting together that almost can be a role. We have contextual information. Oftentimes we have the linguistic information divided in multiple areas from the sound part of the acoustic side to the phonetic side to the syntactic, pragmatic, semantic. Right, so we're starting to get people's eyes crossed. Let's, let's, uh, I know, I know, let's, let's I double know. down so into it here. We do guide the clients a lot in those directions by basically pointing them whether they, it's really an AI problem or not. Most of the times is. The best clients have a multilingual or multi-market problem to yeah, solve. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the other big thing for us. And those are our best clients too, because we support 46 languages. The other thing that is very important is putting people in the loop with machines that are already learning and making sure that you are not missing the false positives and the false negatives in yep. the model training that make the model blindsided and biased. It's very important to have the right distribution of the data. And all of that comes with the package with us, right? So we don't charge for that type of consulting. And in fact, we're doing that all the time. It's not streamlined how to get the data, what's the distribution, yeah. etc. I think it completely makes sense that that stuff has to be tackled in-house because I don't think at this point in the development of industry, we can count on every business 
to have a firm understanding of when they're seeing algorithmic drift in one direction or another from the data that they're feeding something, right? That's got to be squared away by, you know, a firm that does this for a living and understands that and can be responsible for that. You know, you mentioned you have some folks come to you with AI-related problems, other folks who have problems that, you know, maybe AI isn't necessarily needed or isn't the best fit or isn't even realistic. Probably you would hope, or at least if I was in your shoes, I would hope, that the conversations I had with executives, you know, would be with people who at least grasp enough about AI to not ask kind of completely ridiculous questions. And you can't blame them, right? It's not a moral mm-hmm. fault, but it's just, you'd hope you're not blowing your time on projects that are just completely not a fit for AI. I imagine you maybe would wish that execs might know a little bit more, might be able to come to the table with better ideas. And I think in the future, people will be smarter and smarter about this stuff. If there was something that you wished more executives knew so that when they thought about data enrichment and data collection needs, they would have a better grasp of what's reasonable, what's possible, what's required. What do you wish more execs out in there in the world knew before they scrambled over and took up somebody's time on the phone at your company or a company like it? I think more important is that people understand the importance of high quality data. Everybody talks about quality, but most people don't really guarantee it. A lot of offerings don't measure quality. So they need to understand that we have like a certification for every data unit we produce or process has a seal of quality. And a lot of companies out there don't do that. And execs sometimes go by pricing instead of looking yeah, at yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. quality part and yep. the seal and what the exit criteria means. That can hurt an organization, a product life cycle so much. I've been there myself. Definitely. Yeah. It, it just delays everything. It turns out to be more expensive in the end. And that is, for me, the biggest thing that everybody needs to be paying very careful attention to not be fooled by just the words and the buzz and actually look at the certification. This is a whole nother can of worms, which is how do we differentiate this kind of service, which is something obviously you guys are thinking about and everybody's going to take their angle, but there's going to be an awful frothy ocean of language related stuff out there and got to be something that's different and certainly quality. I mean, I'm by purely logically thinking about it, firms that aren't caring about quality, I will suspect probably won't survive in those frothy waters for very long executives who ignore it completely are obviously going to be in a bad spot. Final question, Daniela, as we wrap up, just to get your perspective, you're in this sort of domain of collection and enrichment, cleaning, harmonizing data, training algorithms, and you're seeing this these kinds of technologies applied across industry. I certainly see a lot of firms like yours. I don't run one, though. And I'm interested from your perspective, are there either types of business functions or industry slash sectors that you think in the coming five years, are really going to have the deepest and most robust needs for data collection and enrichment? Or is it too hard to put a finger on anyone? In other words, what I'm trying to ask you is, are there commonalities other than we want to use ML for companies who are likely to become customers for this kind of service in the coming half decade? Mm -hmm. We certainly think this cognitive world and human interaction as completely horizontal, industry agnostic. The only difference is the domain specialization and the language reach, really, for us at least. A lot of these industries are collecting lots of data, but the data is sensitive so that you cannot leave the client's premises, which makes the processing at scale very difficult if you need people in the loop. But that's why there are techniques of deploying on-premises where we're going as well with our roadmap. 
and having the client's own people to help in the processing and the continuous model training and improvement. So the biggest challenge is actually we're only tackling us and a lot of our competitors, the tip of the iceberg of the data that can be touched. Because all the data right now with GDPRs, with all the leaks and scandals, cannot even be touched. There's oceans and oceans of it that companies cannot even process at scale. So the big shift is when we can process this data internally on premises and, of course, with a lot of technology. Yeah, so when, when you can get under the hood instead of just handling what's okay to collect from the outside world. That's right. That's Whoa, right. yeah, what a shift that will be. Well, I'm excited to see how that works out. Obviously, you folks are making some strides there and finding partnerships and collaboration methods to sort of get that done. And hopefully this has opened the eyes of the folks tuned in thinking about their own data needs and data enrichment needs as to sort of what that might pan out like in the future. I'm optimistic that the dynamic you're articulating goes down, and I'm excited to see it. And, Daniela, that's all we've got for time. So thanks so much for taking the time and being here on AI and Industry. Thank you, Dan. It's been a pleasure talking to you. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.